Welcome to episode number 202 of Destination Linux. Get your DLN mugs, take a sip, sit back, relax, and prepare to have open source and Linux goodness delivered directly to your frontal lobe. And you could do that by taking the red pill or the blue pill. Uh, I (laughs) like the Matrix reference. (laughs) So uh, my name is Jill and with me today are the new cast members of the 2021 Dancing with the Stars, Michael, Ryan, and Noah. <laughs> I am so good at the salsa. You guys That's right. nothing yet. Yeah. Well, I I hope to see you on TikTok soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you 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 need to now. That's you've been called out, Ryan. You gotta do it. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we're exploring our wonderful audio under Linux and how important that is. For the majority of users, Pulse Audio seems to do most everything you expect. However, that's not always the case when it comes to more professional audio support. This is why we have projects like Jack and the up-and-coming Pipewire in hopes of bringing professional and easier audio capabilities to our Linuxes. We're going to be digging deep into this topic and some news from one particular distro that's looking to push audio in Linux into the future. And in addition, we will be covering community feedback, gaming tips and tricks, and our software picks. All this coming up right now on Destination Linux and get those penguins marching. So let's kick things off in our community feedback this week. And we get an email from Andy, which says, hello, DL team. First, I want to say congratulations on your 200th episode of Destination Linux. I've been a listener for a little over a year and enjoy every episode. Keep up the good work. I'd like to offer a different perspective on your discussion about antivirus software on Linux. I agree that the threat vector is significantly less for Linux than it is for Windows, and that it is not necessarily imperative that AV software be run to protect the Linux OS, although it couldn't hurt. I will offer that it is significantly more important to run AV software on Linux or BSD file servers that are set up to share files with Windows clients. Even though most viruses don't affect the Linux OS itself, viruses can reside on the Linux file system and allow Linux to be a transmission source between Windows clients through its network shares. Most Windows antivirus clients do not scan network shares and map drives by default and rely on the file server to protect the files it contains. Running antivirus on your Linux or BSD file servers will allow the shared files to be scanned and cleaned. So even if an infected machine uploads an infection to the file server, the file server can stop the virus from spreading. This is an important step in protecting your network as a whole. This isn't just relevant for business, but for home use as well. I'm sure many of your listeners run OMV or FreeNAS to share files between a range of OSs, including Windows. No, not our listeners. Our listeners are only <laughs> Linux purists. They only run <laughs> Linux. Uh, the extra step will help increase their network security. Anyways, that is my two cents on the matter. I hope it's not too wordy. Again, thanks for all the quality content. Looking forward to another great 200 episodes. Andy from Berlin, thank you so much for this email. And a really good point that I wasn't thinking about when we had that discussion is the situation of protecting the Windows computers you have in your network, whether home mm-hmm. or business, from viruses that could be transmitted transmitted from your Linux box. What say you, Noah, on this? 
Yeah, 100%. In fact, one of the reasons that I'm so adamant about keeping snapshots every 15 to 20 minutes is because, yes, I can ensure that all of my devices are clean and running Linux and aren't going to run any malicious software because I am careful about what I click on. And it's not my operating system of choice. It's my practice, how I use the computer. I only execute code that I that I have a reasonable idea of what it's going to do on the machine, right? And, and, and following those practices, I think, is what's going to keep you safe. What you can't count on and what you should uh, plan on is that there there may be other devices that you didn't really think about that may become susceptible for infection. I'll give you the craziest example I have. ATMs uh, are still running XP embedded. And mm. so the, a lot of times they are on a network. And obviously, as you can imagine, even though Diebold has, I'm sure, negotiates uh, security updates, at least hopefully, uh, with Microsoft, I can tell you as the guy who uh, who deals with the network side of ATMs, there are a lot of people out there coming through to update those things very often. And so um, those as well as we have, um, I've seen devices in the field that they're basically a little 1U rack. Uh, servers that either run thermostat control software or lighting control software, any of those things inside of your business. A lot of people don't know those things are actually running Windows underneath the hood. Um, had a medical device, even an imaging ultrasound machine that was running Windows. So all sorts of devices are running Windows. If you're not careful, you you could get bitten. So I don't know that I agree with the emailer that that's necessarily an antivirus thing. I think it's more of an environment thing that you should be aware of. But I definitely agree that um, you can't just count on, well, I have Linux on the network. That's my primary cloud client base. So uh, I guess I'm good that it won't work like that. Yeah, this is actually so, a really interesting email that we, we got because uh, I'm in a situation where I haven't, I don't use Windows hardly ever. Uh, it's been years since I've actually ra ran Windows. So I don't have, to, I never think about it. So I'm, this is one of those things where I'm so happy that we get all this, this feedback from the community and stuff like that, because this is bringing up a topic that like when I read this, it was like, oh, Yes, 100%. We totally forgot that. Yeah, we that, forgot that one. <laughs> yeah, that is important to make sure that if you have a Windows on the network, there could be some issues where there, like somebody could you know, not pay attention to something that's on a Linux machine and then send it over to a Linux machine, which could be an issue. Uh, so that is a good tip for, for that. And you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why the community feedback is so important to the show. So thank you for sending that in. We love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mic. You got to have it in your hand. If you don't, it doesn't work. You got to fill it with some coffee, some DLN coffee. Yay. DLN coffee, by the way, is any coffee ever brewed. It's all DLN coffee does. Then you sit down, <laughs> find the nearest stool, send us an email, send those to comments at destinationlinux.org. But seriously, guys, the show continues because of the input that you give us. So the more input you give us, the questions that you ask, that's how we come back and direct the show. Again, comments at destinationlinux.org. We hope to hear from you. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud native apps. Now, if you look at Ryan's shirt, you might be asking yourself, what does the cloud run on? The cloud runs on <laughs> Linux. You might ask yourself, who provides the cloud running Linux? The answer to that is DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a VPS provider. So basically what that means is you are saying to yourself, self, I want to run a $5,000 server and want to run all these cool things that Noah, Michael, and Jill talk about on Destination Linux. And then you think to yourself, I don't have $5,000. So Darn where it. can I rent a server? <laughs> Well, it turns out you can go to DigitalOcean and they got lots of them. They'll give them to you for, for free, actually, just because yeah. you listen to the show. Now, it has support for Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, Static Sites, and Docker. All you do is point their app platform to your GitHub repository and it will build your application right on their platform. By the way, their platform, all SSDs, best infrastructure out there. So your costs are significantly lower with other products. Plus, they built this app platform on top of the DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure as you set up. And as 
as a listener of the show, like I said, you're going to get a $100 credit. They're going to give you $100 just for listening to us do our show. Again, you go to do.co slash DLN. Tell them that Destination Linux sent you and you want that $100 credit so you can spin up a massive digital ocean server or a bunch of little ones. Whatever you do, we want to make sure that you thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week of Destination Linux. So this week has been pretty big in the Linux audio space. And that's not something that we typically talk about because audio in Linux is you know fairly low level and that sort of stuff. But there's been a lot of stuff happening this week, which is very surprising to have it all happen at once. But that's what's, that's what's happening. So our door 6.5 has been released. The kernel added support for pro-level audio equipment. And even Pulse Audio had a new major release with version 14.0. All of this... And this stuff is really interesting, but I think the most interesting thing is the was what came out this week for Fedora, as that Fort Fedora is considering switching to Pipewire as a default audio server in their next release. And for those who are not familiar with Pipewire, Pipewire is a basically a new iteration of a audio server that does functions that Pulse Audio and Jack are able to do all in conjunction with the one layer, which is really interesting because it offers like low latency, graph-based processing engine on top of audio and video devices. And it also is designed with integrated security model that makes interacting with audio and video devices for containerized applications easier, which will make it much better to have support for Flatpak and that sort of stuff. So I am super excited about that Fedora is trying to push it. So what do you guys think? Have you, have y'all looked at the, you know, the, what the pipe well, wires? I know Noah had, had Neil on his show this week to talk about this whole change with Fedora and mm-hmm. in, in the pipe wire move. So I'll be interested to, since that time, Noah, have you, what, what are your thoughts on this move and is it the right time? We'll start there. And then people need to obviously listen to the Ask Noah show this week to get the full interview. Cause I think it was fascinating to learn the inside pieces, but what's your take on it so far? Yeah. The, the, the TLDR uh, of the interview on, on Tuesday, which I'll use as a premise to kind of answer your question is that audio on Linux has really needed an overhaul for quite some time. Pulse and Ulsa, uh, they work, but there are a lot of inherent inflexibilities and it's very difficult to upgrade and, and, and make changes. And so Pipewire is designed to replace the the back end, um, really kind of the middle, because you've got also on the front end, that's what actually generates a little volume control. And you've got also on the back end, which actually talks to the to the hardware. And so now you've got Pipewire, which is going to sit in the middle. And the nice thing about Pipewire is it's designed with expandability in mind. It's designed with future proof in mind. It's designed with professional needs. Uh, from the get-go. And so this is going to fundamentally change the landscape of Linux in a really good way. What you've seen is anytime Linux is able to compete in the same in the same spectrum that proprietary software competes, it typically has an advantage if, and this is a big if, if the software developers of whatever product is being compared, they designed it with professional in mind. Um, I I I was uh, I was at a conference, not a conference, but a meeting. And it was very interesting to sit and listen to somebody talk about Blender as if it's like the go-to animation software. And these are all people, by the way, who, uh, just as far as I know, don't use Linux, don't think about Linux. Blender is a household name to all of them, or at least a business name to them, because it is such a standard in the industry. And the same thing is true with FFmpeg. And the, I mean, we have a whole host mm-hmm. of things that, that that's true with. I think Pipewire is the next big thing. I think Pipewire is the next thing that makes somebody look at their new Mac that has a, has a processor built by Apple, an operating system built by Apple, and software that if they didn't change it, doesn't no longer work, and they really don't care about anybody else but Apple. And they're looking at their workflow and saying, what else could I go to 
and maybe they don't like what's over on the Microsoft side of things. Now they have an opportunity to look at Linux and say, well, now this has some real features and some real benefits that I don't have on these other operating systems. And the the amount of tie-in that you're going to be able to get to softwares just to be able to route audio and send audio and streamline that whole process, I think is going to be revolutionary for Linux. Well, I think uh, we have to talk about what are some of the sorry. issues that exist mm -hmm. today in audio. And I can only speak from my experience. I'm not an audio professional, but I have DBX-286s. I have USB interfaces and a professional podcasting mic. And, and the issue that I run into consistently with false audio is the lack of compatibility with a lot of the different USB interfaces out of the box. Now, what I mean by that is, yes, I can plug them in and get audio, but if I add a second sound stream in, it will generally start clipping the audio or creating echo and other things. So there's these problems that the fix for it is you get Jack and Jack's going to go or you use my Pulse Audio script where I have it so it actually sets up the right parameters for the USB box. But the way Pulse Audio is set up, as I understand it, is that it basically sets a default that essentially everything or anything plugged into it will work, but it's not an on-the-fly going to adjust all of the proper parameters for your individual devices like a USB interface that you set up. It's just going to use this kind of default 48,000 hertz and default settings for all of your channels, and that's where it kind of falls short. So I'm very excited about Pipewire. So excited, in fact, between the interview on your show, Noah, and just people talking about it, that I went to go install it in Fedora, and I ran through the page where it's recommended, where they show you how to switch, but that doesn't work yet, right? So when you try to do the switch, it actually tells you, hey, that you're going to be deleting the GNOME shell or something along those. There's, there's a bunch of different errors, but eventually you get to that one where we can't put Pipewire in place because it's going to interrupt the GNOME shell. And the reason I bring that up is because if they can't get that working right and they force this as the default in the next Fedora and the switching back and forth in case I need that Pulse Audio doesn't work fluently, then you have a situation where Fedora is kind of pushing like they did with Wayland so fast and so quickly that I feel like they're going to leave a lot of people deprecated new users coming into Fedora and having a bad experience. And that's my only concern because I love the fact that they're pushing it. But is Fedora just a test bed? I mean, is it just a test OS where we throw stuff on and it's if it works, great. If it doesn't, great. Or is this an operating system where we want new users and everybody kind of using and exploring? And if it's the second answer, then I think we have to be really cautious about pushing something too fast when it's not ready yet. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, Fedora, they were talking about how in Fedora 36, that was going to be where they they brought out Pipewire. Pipe <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, like you said, Ryan, that this is not too soon, but they've made such good progress on it. Noah's right. This is going to be revolutionary yep. for audio under Linux. And, you know, one of the huge advantages of Pipewire is that the update process for audio on Linux is going to be far easier and much more frequent compared to the slow development cycle of Pulse Audio and Jack. It's, it's definitely going to improve the upstream uh, development. And um, everyone out there, do not worry because also there's going to be there's going to be plugins to, to patch also apps through Pulse, which then goes to Pipewire. And then also OS. So they're going to be backwards compatible <laughs> with some of the old programs. I, I, I use some old programs that still use OS. 
<laughs> That's so important that they're doing that. The compatibility mm -hmm. both with the Jack layer, the integration, seamless support between Jack, also GStreamer applications, yeah. incredibly important. <laughs> they're doing this all the right way. I just, my exactly. only caution, just to be clear <laughs> to everyone is, I want Pipewire. I want it now. I've been begging for better audio <laughs> yes. in Linux. This is the most exciting thing. And I love that Fedora is pushing it. I just want to make sure they don't ruin themselves in the process by pushing something too fast. I, I think it's interesting because yeah. your, your point, I normally I would agree completely with that. But basically the 34, they, they've already talked about how the 34 has support for the switch back and forth much more seamless. And it's even just one package now. You just run, you get this one package set up and you can switch back and forth between Pulse and Pipewire. And that stuff, that I think that in itself kind of makes it, you know. If it a, works. Well, the reason why I'm saying it doesn't is, work right now. Well, that's also because they're doing it for the purpose of 34. So it might not work right now, but there's also things that are, you know, when you start, you know, getting stuff from new implementation and testing, it might not be ready for the current staple approach. And I get why that would be an issue. But when people are talking about it, you want to try it. And then when you go to try it, it creates a, a, a you know, you get a bad, a bad taste in your mouth sort of stuff. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the next version isn't already being worked on to solve that one That's issue. That's a good point. But the reason why I just want to interrupt for a second is to say that this isn't about just like wanting to try it. It's that you need a lot of testing to happen with all the different mm -hmm. applications and yeah. all the different use cases. And if and if that's not working yet, the seamless switch, by the time that does get working, and then we finally get enough people to get in there and start testing, we, we may be rolling. It could be. It could be. Maybe not. I hope they fix it tomorrow. Maybe it's fixed right now. I didn't check the notes today. Who knows? And we can all start testing. But that's my fear is I really want Fedora to be a staple with all of their innovation that I can tell a new person, go to Fedora. Wayland does cause me some issues with that yeah. because even when I did a video That's recently, true. somebody was arguing with me in the comments. No, OBS works fine in Wayland. Yeah, it no, it doesn't. <laughs> it works mm -mm. fine with some video cards. It works fine with some applications, but that's if you don't use OBS on a professional level, then yeah, you're going to say it works fine. But it, it, if it's not seamless, if it doesn't work as good as what I have in X, then it's not ready yet, right? Could we agree on that? Yeah, oh, for sure. And, that's what I feel and like not all the games work yet. yet either. Yes. <laughs> so. and, and so, yes, can you get OBS to open in Wayland? Yay. But can you do all the stuff I need OBS to do? No. So it's not ready. And and that that's my fear. Mm -hmm. I want them to do this the right way. And I want it not to be it. super <laughs> successful so people don't have a bad taste about Pipewire because I have never been more excited. This is the one thing in Linux. If you're telling me what's what is the thing that aggravates you the most in Linux? It would be audio, 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 audio. And this mm -hmm. is huge for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I get where you're going for, or like in the terms of these things need to be addressed. And I think Pipewire is addressing a lot of the stuff. And I'm so excited to be able to have something that competes with Jack that is also really easy to use. Like yes. that, that exactly. in itself yeah. makes me incredibly Very excited good. about it. Like, like, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so I think I agree that, you know, if you're trying to use something, I think it's it's weird because Pipewire is something that is a, you know, a super low level thing that we all are are excited for and want to happen. And we want to happen maybe more, more soon than it's ready to do. Uh, and I think that if Fedora is comfortable with to say that, that the next version, by, by the time the next version of Fedora comes out, it'll be ready. I think that is, you know, promising. You know, maybe it's, you know, right now it's not might be ready, but maybe in the future, because you know, it, Fedora thirty four is 
you know, six months away or something like that, maybe five months away. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe by, maybe that the reason why they're thinking about switching it is because they believe that by then it'll be ready versus right now. I don't know. I hope they're right. I I spent the last hour setting up Jack when I failed with pipe wire and I had so much fun with Jack, but it's taken me weeks to learn Jack and somebody hand holding me to get all of the professional tie-ins to Carla and all that stuff done where I can pipe in software in different places. Yeah, that's not intuitive. Um, But once you get it set up, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And by the way, Noah, you mentioned Mac and just real quick before we leave this topic, uh, Mm -hmm. when I did the Mac series, I was fascinated because a lot of people will tell you the best audio experience out there is Mac. And a lot of that Mm -hmm. is because of the software that's available to a Mac and of course the hardware compatibility. But what was interesting... It, that's that's mm-hmm. really that sums up everything yeah in, industry support there but what was interesting is things like recording your desktop audio is not available mm-hmm. in mac by default it does not have a second audio that's not built into support. mac os to allow you to record audio of your desktop the only way to record audio and this is an mm-hmm. issue by the way if you go to audacity and you say i want to download the mac version it will tell you if you go to obs it will tell you this is not like some random thing that only happens to some people you have to actually go buy separate software that creates a second audio stream to allow you just to record audio of your desktop. So when I complain or say that I want audio and Linux to be better, I think we're at a point where not only could we be better, but we could absolutely dominate, dominate. the market here because the other competitors are not that strong. Yeah. I agree with that entirely. Well, even on Windows, you here on, on Linux, we have the ability to set separate input devices and output devices, which you can't by default in Windows unless you use third-party software. Good point. Yep. So I'm, I'm really excited. And thank you for, for Dora for pushing this. Just just make sure we push it the right time, please. Yeah, it's working I 100% agree with that. <laughs> you know what time it is? It's time for you to get a good password manager. And the password manager that this show has used before they were ever a sponsor with individuals here on this show use and trust is Bitwarden. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords, adding in passphrases to fingerprint security, all of this to keep your passwords safe. There is nothing more important than having different passwords for all of the various sites that you visit. One of the first things that I do when I do a new Linux installation is I get my browser Firefox set up, I get Bitwarden set up, and now I can get into all of the accounts from DigitalOcean and other things instantly and easily, all of them with various uh, different passwords and all of them with very complex passwords. Bitwarden actually has an ability right in it for you to generate passwords for the sites that you're in. And not only can you generate them, but you can generate them within the specifications that that sites want. Some sites say you have to have 14 characters and a special character and then some numbers and all of that. Little check boxes in Bitwarden let you make sure that you can add a password for that. The best part is if you go to bitwarden.com slash DLN, you can get started for free. But if you're like us and you want to show support for this amazing product and the love and support that they have for the Linux community, you've shown the entire DLN network, then go ahead and sign up for their $10 per year premium account. That's per year, $10 the whole year. You're set up, you get a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, which you know me and Noah are big on the YubiKeys, U2F Duo, Vault yeah. Health Reports, TOT Authenticator Storage and Gen, Priority Customer Support, and more. Make the smart move like so many in our community. I love seeing that, by the way, in the Telegram, on our YouTube page, and discourse when people are like, hey, I finally got rid of 
this other password manager and I'm on Bitwarden and I love it. The feedback we get from this is amazing. Premium edition starts at $10 a year. Do it now. Bitwarden.com slash DLN. Okay. This is really, really awesome. This is an amazing development and needs to be implemented worldwide for sure. I agree. The, the EU parliament has decided to make the right to repair devices and electronics a law. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This needs to be implemented. Nice. Yeah, worldwide. Yeah, we need it. <laughs> the The goal of this law is to make repairs more appealing, systematic, and cost efficient, whether by extending guarantees, providing guarantees for replaced parts, or better access to information on repair and maintenance. Wait, this sounds this sounds odd. <laughs> this is a law that might be good for people. I'm confused. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Wait, but does it protect the children? <laughs> oh yeah. And, okay. Good. And- <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> like, like, uh, you know, this this point that has been brought up. This is a huge move considering the U.S. is fighting off com- companies who are looking to remove these rights from citizens, uh, all in the name of, like Ryan says, saving the children <laughs> or right. not getting hurt, and also the profit margins of our consumer-based society. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know what's so interesting about this is if if you follow this right to repair situation in the U.S., it it will make you throw up like literally is that bad. (laughs) I'm telling you that if you go look this up, CompTIA, right, which is the certification Mm -hmm. company for A plus certification that teaches people to get or teaches you and then you get certified by them to repair computers and other things was lobbying for not being allowing people to repair their own stuff in the U.S., yeah. Company, yeah. this is how powerful the lobbyists are. Now, normally I'm actually against laws to govern this stuff. I, I, I believe that if you have enough competition and you have a free market, that you shouldn't need to have the government coming in and making laws for this. The problem is that the the anti of the free market is monopolies. And the tech industry yeah. is essentially monopolized to the point where all of the tech is controlled by just a few. And what you've seen is Apple, their move that everybody beats up on Apple for, rightfully so, to not be able to repair their stuff, is now being copied. Instead of copying the nice glass trackpad, the really nice retina screens, no, no, no. What we're going to copy is soldering RAM. We're going to copy soldering the hard drive. We're going to copy the glue because (laughs) Dell and Lenovo and others now have laptops out there right now in the market where they're soldering this crap on. So this is this is not something, as much as I love those companies, we talk about them supporting Linux, I'm so happy for it. These are the things that they're copying and these lobbyists are making it, are just making it impossible for normal citizens to be heard. Look, we have so many people who are mm-hmm. starving, dealing with COVID and other things. The last mm-hmm. thing you're, is on your mind right now is going and fighting in your local government about the right to repair. So they're using this distracted period as a time to basically remove your rights to ever fix your own stuff. How disgusting is that? And I'm so proud of the EU here for them making this law because sometimes you just have to, 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 to make a change. We shouldn't have to, but in this case, I think you almost have to because the, the trend of the tech industry is to make these parts disposable and these rare earth minerals and, and, mm-hmm. and pieces that go into these computers are now just being buried in, in dump sites because people are just throwing them away instead of repairing their own devices. It, it's a huge issue, a huge problem. And I'm happy they're doing something about it because it will, this EU law will actually help us because if other companies have to adjust to EU, guess what? They're not going to manufacture a bunch of different devices in different places. Yeah. So we'll get some positive from this here in the US as well. 
Oh, yeah. And you are so right about, you know, filling our landfills. That's been a big, big concern of mine, you know, since I knew about landfills when I was a little kid with electronics is we have have this society that that every every when something's broken, you replace it, you know, with something new or the companies build in uh, a timer for devices life, like, for instance, computers. They used to they used to last 10, 20, 30 years. Right. <laughs> and now we're lucky if we get five out of that BIOS because it's 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 almost like they have a built-in timer in there saying, okay, I'm gonna Okay, destroy this thing. Right. <laughs> destroy this thing. And there is actually some truth to that. <laughs> yeah, some companies have been caught doing <laughs> yeah. that with software updates, slowing down older machines so that yeah, forcing you to upgrade essentially. Yeah. The new um EU law you know, encourages sustainable consumer choices and promotes a culture of reuse. And what better operating system in the world than Linux <laughs> for this cause? Exactly. And, you know, it works beautifully on older systems and devices and, and keeps them going. And it encourages the reuse and, sus- and sustainability of all our electronics and computers. <laughs> You know, our our patrons have brought up two really strong points. One is Neil saying the EU directives are not automatically laws. Each country has to figure out how they can implement it. So that's a good point. So hopefully this goes through and they find ways. But I think this is the first step, right? And this is a bigger step than what we have in the U.S. where lobbyists are basically attacking the entire infrastructure of the ability to repair so yeah this is um, much better than the the alternative that we're experiencing right (laughs) but but it's a good point that it needs to still uh be implemented in each country and then brandon says not just tech sector this is a big deal in agriculture that's a really important part just being able to repair your own tractor being able to repair your own car i mean this stuff is Mm -hmm. going away people like it it's this is not something guaranteed anymore. Companies are figuring out ways. They, they want monthly revenue. They want consistent revenue. The only way to make these monster profits to make their investors happy, which in itself is nothing wrong with, is to continue to make more money. But one of the easiest ways they found that mm-hmm. is to cheat and basically make their products so that they don't last and they keep breaking and you have to keep rebuying exactly. them. And that it's a problem. Yeah, and what they don't realize is they can be making money off off the support and the tech of repairing the system. You don't have to, you know, they don't have to necessarily make money from, you know, you buying a new cell phone if they repaired it. Absolutely. <laughs> you, know, you can make money from that, uh, much like what Red Hat and some of the big uh, companies in Linux do it, <laughs> you know, the open source way. <laughs> and it's so being able to repair something, imagine a world in which we couldn't. I mean, I, I have so much joy in taking broken products and bringing them back to life. Yes. I, I get them off eBay all the time. Mm-hmm. People have these <laughs> laptops that they sell for parts because it won't boot or I can't charge it or whatever. And mm-hmm. getting that thing to come back to life, sometimes as simple as cleaning out the charging port because there's so much crap dust and things in it that that's why it's not charging sometimes it's a major overhaul but being able to do that and see that computer come to life that originally cost twenty five hundred dollars i get it for 400 bucks and bring it back to life for a hundred i mean it's empowering and it's amazing to bring your kids into that process and and build something not brand just brand new from scratch but bring things back to life and my kids think it's so cool they think i'm a wizard they're like 
our dad can fix anything. anything. I'm like, don't Aww. put a car in front of me. But it's a computer, yes. <laughs> so uh, that, you know, that's why one of the reasons I started collecting um, vintage and old computers was to give them new life. And with yep. Linux, that is possible with uh, new software. So, and, and I just, I love repairing them. And um, a lot of my, a lot of my students end up giving me their old computers and I'm like, Hey, I'll use it Yes, <laughs> and I'll, I'll give it life. And then sometimes I'll donate it to someone that needs a computer to learn Linux and, uh, or uh, different companies. We've got free geek and we've oh, got yeah. kids on computers that reuse old computers, um, in first world and third world countries. So the teach children Linux and computing. Very own. important stuff. Yeah. And, and Kiwi goes on to say that, and you know, soon we'll just be renting everything from all these companies. I refuse to live in that world and replace it with my own reality where I will not <laughs> rent my computers from people. But this yeah. is important. And I'm really happy that we're seeing laws in California, EU and others where this stuff is taking. And I hate that it has to come to laws because I think that's the worst way to have to deal with it. But the companies aren't playing ball. So here we are. Yeah. Way to go, EU. And thank you to Jeffrey for posting this on our Destination Linux Discourse Forum. This is hopefully going to make waves around the world. So thank you very much, Jeffrey. Yep, absolutely. In the gaming news, we have something a little happier. Well, I think it's happy that we have that law, but a little a little less um, of a potential <laughs> for uh, making people upset is that ray tracing is rendering technique that has a lot of buzz from AMD, NVIDIA, and the gaming market for a while now. Yes, AMD and NVIDIA have ray tracing. I've been seeing a lot of people like, only NVIDIA has ray... No, no, that's not true. <laughs> uh, both of them have ray tracing. But <laughs> what we're seeing is that we now have Vulcan ray tracing, thanks Yay. to the Kronos group. And so they are integrating ray tracing into the existing Vulcan framework. This means that we have an industry's first open, open source, cross-vendor, cross-platform standard for ray tracing acceleration it can be deployed either using existing gpu computes or dedicated ray tracing cores while ray tracing is just getting started i think there's like a total 30 games that support it i've been playing with the ray tracing and a lot of the games on the playstation 5 for instance recently and it adds some nice visual enhancements some shadow additional shadows some reflections in the water and things that make the world feel more alive and in general that's what most people we'll see when they think of these rendering techniques that it uses is, is just kind of making the world look a little more realistic. But I just wanted to take the time to give a huge thanks to the Kronos group for this because the only other option is relying on DirectX and other proprietary implementations mm -hmm. here, which means we would Linux would be left behind, essentially. Yeah. But this brings it so that there's an open standard that the industry can fall behind. The game's being created. They don't have to worry about paying for proprietary licenses. And they get this fantastic ray tracing technique, which will be a part. It, it, so many companies are talking about it. It's definitely going to be part of all the games in the future. Uh, AAA titles that is coming out, these ray tracing techniques. So Kronos Group is bringing that to us in our gaming. And I wanted to highlight that. Yeah, we love you, Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Earlier in today, we talked about the the audio in Linux, and we also mentioned pulse effects in that discussion and its ability to manage audio effects for both the input and the output in Linux. So we wanted to do a, high, a spotlight on, for the software spotlight this week, we're going to talk about uh, pulse effects profiles. So in episode 151, we talked about uh, pulse effects also as a spotlight, so you can check that out if you want to. But our spotlight this week is the Jack JackHack96 pulse effects presets that gives you bass boosting, uh, it's called Perfect EQ Profiles and a bunch of other stuff. And even our very own Das Geek made his own custom mm -hmm. profile. 
for awesome. spatial <laughs> sound awareness in FPS games and that sort of stuff. So check that out. So we'll have links in the show notes below. Our tip of the week this week is continuing with Git. We're going to get your Git appetite wet learning this crucial version control system. Last week, we talked about Git init. This week, we want you to start playing with Git clone. Simply type mm-hmm. Git clone and the URL to any GitHub repository, GitLab repository. And that repository will be cloned right to your local machine so you can work with those files locally. So you know how to initialize a repository. Now you'll know how to clone one. And this sounds super simple, but guess what? I've always just used the GUI up until oh. recently in learning Git. <laughs> no, there was a GUI GitHub. A GUI I for download Git? it, and that's I'm how a- I'm admit. I'm just admitting the truth here. <laughs> Honestly, didn't know that was a thing. I didn't yeah. know that was a thing. I thought yeah. I didn't. Know I only use Terminal too. For, Noah, for, for, like uh, Noah. Yeah. I, I, I would go to the page and I would just click download and download it there and, you know, unzip <laughs> it and play with it there. And as I've been learning the terminal version of Git, I'm like, this is so much faster. Yes. Like he's he's, he's sitting so there. He's, he makes a change to it. One change of file, drags them all back into a folder, right click, tar.gz, upload oh, it back up, wait five minutes. Man, <laughs> software is hard. Listen, you're joking, but that's the that was me, the reality of me, because I have a bunch of GitHub repositories out there of all the software I've done for software installation, everything else. When I have an update, mm-hmm. I'd click and drag that file through the GUI. I didn't use the terminal stuff. Okay, I'm sorry. But I'm better now. <laughs> yeah, but that's what that's what's also about this 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 segment in the show. Everybody who's not familiar with doing the command line stuff or Git are be able to learn that front right here from this episode of Destination Linux. Absolutely. Well, and yes. also some we're gonna be doing a lot more for, for Git if you want to learn it. So be sure to subscribe to the show. Yeah, because Git, as we mentioned in the last, is now considered an essential skill for programmers out there. So it, it is something you want to take the time to learn and know really well. Also, that's the end of the show. And one of the things I really need to do well is make sure that I make all of you understand how much we love your faces and appreciate (laughs) you. So thank you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all these beautiful people here with us today. You get to help add in your comments to the show, which sometimes help us to expand on the topics that we're covering during the show and help make this show the community supported show that you love with the topics you want to hear about. You can also join us on Sponsus as well. If you become a patron, you get VIP access to the shows and and different events that we do, as well as you get live recordings of Destination Linux every Sunday and unedited versions of the show if you can't make it. Yeah, and also you get to hang out with us every week at the end of the show. And are you a member of the DLN community? If you're not, you need to definitely do that right now. Go to destinationlinux.network slash community because we have all kinds of great stuff that you can participate in, like the forum, the Matrix, the Telegram group, the Discord servers, all that stuff. And in fact, we recently bridged our Matrix room, our Telegram room, and the Discord server into a single DLN chativerse so you can have all the awesome uh, conversation and experiences with other members of the DLN community all in one place. And you can choose whatever platform you want to to be a part of that. And also be sure to go to uh, the destinationlinux.network slash community, get all the other options, including the forum, which is a fantastic way to have uh, deep conversations with many members in the community. And everyone out there, do you realize how many absolutely amazing shows are now part of the Destination Linux network? If you didn't, then let me just name a few so you can get it on. I like that. <laughs> we have our new pseudo show, your home for all things enterprise open source, the incredibly informative Ask Noah show. You can catch Noah live every Tuesday. On This Week in Linux, Michael covers all the latest news and you can watch it 
live on Saturdays and make sure to catch his latest video, Five Reasons Why I Use Plasma. Wait, Michael <laughs> uses awesome. plasma? Uh, yeah, it's, just, it's a, just a revelation oh. that no one knew. Yeah. <laughs> and on the DOS Geek channel, make sure to watch Ryan's how-to video on PulseFX for Linux, as we mentioned earlier, and his review of the Corsair Void RGB Elite Wireless Gaming Headset. You. Yeah. DLN Extend takes conversations from the DLN community, and Nate, Matt, and Wendy have a great discussion. And get your computer hardware on and your camera ready with Hardware Addicts. And now with our latest show, you can get your game on with Chris Ware and his show called GameSphere. So go to DestinationLinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching and the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Bye-bye. Yay. See you next week. <laughs> hey everyone. Did you know that we have a patron only hangout each and every week right after the show? If not, well, here's a quick snippet from this week's patron hangout. It was funny when I was doing the intro, I'm like, Oh, I got to put TikTok in here somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> this exactly. is a dancing reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i did dance in my latest video that was good i also was like uh yes you did when you i was looking at the on. yeah i was looking at the tweet and <laughs> it said I shimmy shammy i was like what <laughs> so i had to watch it again <laughs> to see it. Uh, i had to put that in there that's just it's, a, it's, an yeah. old uh, dance term that my grandmother used to use no it was such it was such a good a good way to describe it because i was looking at it and when i watched it i was like what just happened no that's a shimmy shammy for sure shimmy on. <laughs>